The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our scripture reading today comes from Galatians 6, 11 through 18. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has crucified to me and I to the world." For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walks by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to Christ. It's good to be with you today. Before I get into the message, I just wanted to circle back to our announcement, uh, an announcement about Worship Connect Serve. As a church, you hear these words all the time coming from us as um, the description of the pathway for a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. And during this unusual time of um, self-quarantining and social distancing, uh, I wanted to just revisit this and, and, and remind us that we can still continue uh, in these practices of worshiping, connecting, and serving. Um, Worship by participating uh, in the live stream service at 10 a.m. There's just, there's something beautiful about gathering together as the people of God. And so as we continue to do that, um, even though we're gathering uh, remotely in our homes, uh, we really want to encourage you to do that, to be together as a part of of, uh, of the church. And by the way, I, I really have enjoyed the um, text messages, the photos of you all watching the live streams on your computers and TVs, the pictures you've sent of your connect groups meeting as um, meeting over Zoom and platforms like that. Keep that stuff coming. That's really life-giving, uh, which brings me to connect. connect. Keep connecting with your people. Uh, if you are looking for a small group and you're not a part of a connect group here at Christ Presbyterian Church, send an email to connect at christpres.org and we'll get you in one. I mean, this is a great time to do that because if you're looking for people to be in a connect group with, uh, there are others as well, and geography right now is not an issue. Uh, so you can, because you, you, we're meeting over Zoom anyway. So I want to encourage you to do that. And then serve. Keep reaching out to your neighbors. Um, invite people to, uh, you know, share the link uh, to these services. If you want on your social media and, and, and keep, keep that in front of folks who, who don't have a church home. Um, and remember, we do want to protect that, that, that this is for folks who are looking for a church. We're not uh, competing with other churches in their live streams for their congregations. But, but uh, keep, keep sharing and inviting for folks who don't have a church home that are in your life. And maybe you can send them a link uh, to the service or to the sermons, which are individually kind of separated out as well. So with that said, let's get into this passage this morning. It is a significant one. And the reason it's significant is because... We are finally at the end of a five-month-long study of the book of Galatians. This is the last, uh, these are the last eight verses of the book that we're going to be talking about today. Uh, 
The one statement that he makes that I want to camp out on for most of our time is something that comes in verse 15 when Paul says this, neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Nothing counts for anything but a new creation. Here at the end of this series, Paul makes a reference to where all of this is going. A new creation. And I'm so glad that the book ends on that note. Because this book has been, it, this book has some fight in it, doesn't it? It has some strong words in it. And yet when we get to the end, Paul is saying, there's an end in view here. And the end in view here is a world where we're not trying anymore to try to figure out how to please God through our works and our efforts. False teaching is done away with. Every sad thing has come untrue. There's no more tears or mourning or pain. All of those things, the old order of things has passed away. And behold, he is making all things new. And so we're going to land by unpacking that idea <clears throat> during this season where we're all experiencing in very profound ways the fragility of this world. So the promise of a new creation is so meaningful to us because, especially in this time, it's poignant because we know that we're not as strong as we think we are, that we are vulnerable, not just as individuals, but as a globe, we're vulnerable. And so we're going to land by unpacking that I want us to remember, I mentioned this in an earlier sermon that, that, that we preached on, on Galatians, to remember that Galatians is a letter that takes about 30 minutes to read. And so though we've been taking about, you know, five months to unpack it, when we get to these verses here at the end, it's basically been the duration of a normal length sermon. And so we get here to the end um, and that's where we find these verses. But these, the first hearers would have heard this, you know, at the end of, of a regular length sermon. And Paul closes this letter by pointing to our eternal hope. He closes by pointing to our eternal hope in a world that is striving to find peace and to find mercy. So here's what I want to do. I want to walk through these eight verses a verse at a time or an idea at a time. And then what I want to do is I want to wrap up by talking about this great hope that is ours. So let's get into the text. Verse 11, Paul says this. I love this, by the way. Paul says, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. See what large letters. It's a fascinating detail. I love details like this. What Paul is saying here is it seems that he's been dictating this letter to a scribe who's been writing the book of Galatians. And at this point in the letter, these last eight verses, it's kind of a postscript where Paul takes over for the scribe and writes the rest of this in his own hand. And he's saying, notice the change in the penmanship so you know that this is me. This is me talking to you. And with this little touch, we're reminded that Paul is not some distant seminary professor who is frustrated with his students who are failing his theology class. Paul here is telling us that he loves them. He loves them very much. He considers himself a spiritual father to them. These last verses are not only a summary of the entire letter, which they are, but they're written in his own hand. 
And that does two things. One, he summarizes his argument. But second, he does it in a way that is personal. In a way that is near. He's, it's like he's scooting his chair up to the reader and talking to them in a personal way. And so that reminds us, again, that our theology has to be tied to love. It has to be accompanied by love or it's empty. It's empty. Verse 12 and 13, he says this, it's those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. What's that about? Well, he's making a summary of this letter so far. And what is that summary? In a nutshell, it's this. True Christianity resides in the heart. It's not an external behavior thing. That's what 12 and 13 are about. Paul is showing the hollowness of reversing the gospel. If we're saved by works, then it follows that one of the best things you could do is persuade other people to find their salvation in works too, because that would then be a good work that you're doing. You're doing a good work by showing other people that they need to rely on their good works too. Look at how Paul says it. He says, those who put their hope in good works, they want other people to put their hope in good works too. That way, we can compare our virtue to the righteousness of others. I can compare my righteousness to yours and I can feel good about where I stand based on how I feel I measure higher than you do. But back in 511, Paul says the problem with this is that the cross is super offensive when it comes to that idea that you can save yourself. The cross tells you you can't. And that's an offensive thing because it means you have no control over your own ability to reconcile yourself to God, which is another way of saying you have no way of controlling your own ability to be what you were meant to be. You have to be transformed. Tim Keller talks about the offensiveness of the cross related to this passage. He says this, he says, people find it insulting to be told that they're too weak and sinful to do anything to contribute to their salvation. The gospel is offensive to liberal-minded people who charge the gospel with intolerance because it states the only way to be saved is through the cross. And the gospel is offensive to conservative-minded people because it states that without the cross, good people are in as much trouble as bad people. Ultimately, the gospel is offensive because the cross stands against all schemes of self-salvation, end quote. In other words, if one of us needs, if only one of us needs the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to reconcile us to God, we all need it. The cross indicts us in this way. You cannot save yourself. I cannot save myself. We've been over this a ton in this letter, but Paul is summarizing it and he's bringing it back to the central idea. Verse 14 and 15 and 16 say this. Far be it from me, Paul says, to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, 
but a new creation. There it is, a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Here Paul is saying, look, the problem isn't that trying to boast in our own self-righteousness is less effective than boasting in the cross of Christ. He's saying that trusting in the flesh is completely ineffective. It does nothing. It accomplishes absolutely nothing. And the only thing that we have to trust in and celebrate when it comes to our relationship with God is what Christ has done on our behalf. This is all that Paul will boast in. He will boast in Christ alone. The work of Christ has freed us from the demands of this world to be perfect. And by extension then, Paul prays for all who walk by this rule of boasting only in the cross. And he prays that they would know the peace and the mercy of God and that they would know that the peace and the mercy of God is upon them. This is the true Israel of God, he says. This is God's true people. God's people are the ones who rely on the work of Christ. They rely on his mercy, on his grace, in his peace. This is how he's ending the letter. And then he goes 17 and 18. From now on, let no one cause me trouble. <laughs> Don't you love that? Will y'all just calm down? <laughs> he says, from now on, let no one cause me trouble for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. And that's the end of the letter. Paul ends this letter asking for people to stop causing trouble for him. Because this sort of fighting over self-righteousness versus relying on the cross of Christ is leading to misunderstanding. It's leading to persecution for those who are relying on the cross of Christ. Because remember, the cross is an offensive message to people. And Paul already bears on his body the scars of persecution. He's been beaten. He's been arrested. He's been thrown in jail. And though he is willing to endure more, he would really rather not if they would just stop causing trouble through this false teaching. And then he ends, he ends the letter with the verse I'm going to end this service with. He ends with a benediction, a good word that's spoken over God's people. That's what a benediction is, right? Benediction, a good word. It's a, it's a word that we speak over as we go from this place. And we do this at the end of a worship service. We conclude with a benediction as, as a sending word that we go out with the grace and the mercy and the peace of Christ upon us. Why would we do that? Why would we send each other out with a good word spoken over us? The reason is because the church is meant to go out. The church is not meant to be an institution that is primarily known by its gathering, but it's meant to be known as an institution that is marked by its reaching out beyond itself. So we gather to anchor ourselves in the truth, to anchor ourselves in, 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 what's, in what's biblical, to know Christ, to, to be rooted in the gospel, to be a strong band of brothers and sisters whose arms are locked together and we're in fellowship with each other. But we're meant to be a people who, ha, who, are, who are people marked by a commission to go and to make disciples of all the nations. And so we send out from the church because we gather in the church, but when we're out in the world, we're no less the church than when we're gathered in a room, which is good news for us right now. Because as you're watching on a screen, 
and I'm preaching to an empty room, the truth is we are every bit as much the church in this format as we are when we're gathered together in a room together. So that's the book of Galatians. That's what Paul, uh, th that's it. We, we've worked our way through this book and he ends with this, with this benediction, this good word spoken over God's people. And here at the end, I want to circle back to this mention that Paul made of the new creation. And that's where I want to land our time in this letter together. Here at the end, Paul mentions a glorious truth. He says that there is such a thing as a new creation, meaning this world as we know it is not all there is. And this is what God makes of us in Christ. When our faith is in Christ, he makes us a new creation. What that means is our future is secure. Even our motivations to behave, our motivations to obey, which is part of a current of this letter, are, are changed by this gift of faith of the Spirit of God living in us. Christians are called to be people in the world, but not of the world. Why? Because this world as it is now is not the way it will be forever. Every broken thing will be mended. Every sad thing will come untrue. Right now, we are living in a time when the fragility of our world is very much on display. It's crazy right now. The believers in Galatians were hearing false teachers urge them, look, you got to try to piece things together. You got to pull yourself up. You got to piece things together. You got to do it and you got to do it right. And you got to do it the best that you can by your best efforts. And if you do, things are going to go well for you. But here's what we all know. What we all know is things are not okay. Sandra McCracken sings this in her song, Fool's Gold. She says, but if it's not okay, then it is not the end. And this is not okay. So I know this is not the end. If this is not okay, then this is not the end. Because what's the promise? A new creation. And so I want to conclude with some encouragement for you. People that I love. The congregation that I've been called to lead and to pastor and to preach to and to unpack God's word for and to walk alongside and to have you as my people in my life and in the life of my family. I want to end with some encouragement for everybody who's listening to this. What does the promise of a new creation mean? It means a few things. I'm going to give you some of them. The first promise of a new creation means this. This that we're going through right now will end. It's not okay. So we know it's not the end. And I don't just mean a pandemic. I mean living in a world where destructive viruses pose any threat at all. I mean living in a world where the information that we gather about what's happening around us stirs in us anxiety and fear and uncertainty. All of that will end. This will end. So that's the first thing I want to say. The second is this, is that seasons like the one that we're going through have something to give us. This season is revealing vulnerability. 
in spades. It's revealing a lot of vulnerability. And when vulnerability is revealed, there's an occasion to learn humility in response. And humility is something we don't just need during pandemics. Humility is something we need all the time. Because here's the truth. This pandemic has not created our vulnerability. What it has done is, is it has exposed our vulnerability. Our vulnerability has always been here. And every day, the news changes. And it changes so much and so fast that what we think we know on Monday becomes irrelevant by Tuesday. And what we know on Tuesday is obsolete by Saturday. And that's hard because so many of us, all we want to do is we just want to control. We just want to control this life that we're living. And we can't. A friend of mine a while back, when I went through a personal season of, of frailty um, with open heart surgery and a, and, a, and a season of just being um, in a survival mode myself, a friend recommended a book by a man named Lawrence Gonzalez called Deep Survival, Who Lives, Who Dies, and Why. And it's a fascinating read about how people behave in survival situations and how their decisions shape the outcome of their travail. So if you're in survival mode, if you feel like you're in survival mode, listen to what he says. It's fascinating. You may not be lost in the woods, but you, but you may feel like every day is an exercise and just trying to hold things together. Here's what, here's what he saw. He saw that in survival situations, the majority of people freeze or panic. And often that leads to horrible results. But those who don't, those who don't freeze, those who don't panic, the ones who stay cool, they make it. Why do ones who stay calm tend to live? Here's the reason, and this is what I'm trying to say, is because they're able to correctly assess the situation that they're in and adjust to it, rather than trying to make their situation reflect how they think it should be. And do you know who Gonzalez found has one of the highest survival rates of that kind of lost alone in the woods scenario of all demographics? The people with the highest survival rate in that situation are kids under the age of six. Why? Well, because kids under the age of six adapt to what's happening. They have no preconceived notion of how things are supposed to be. And so here's what he writes. He says, small children, quote, don't understand traveling to a particular place, so they don't run to get somewhere beyond their field of vision. They also follow their instincts. If, if it gets cold, they crawl into the hollow of a tree to get warm. If they get tired, they rest, so they don't get fatigued. If they're thirsty, they drink. They try to make themselves comfortable, and staying comfortable helps keep them alive. In other words, what he's saying is kids take things as they are, not as they should be. And so must we. Because of all our vulnerability, we have to be humble to say, there are times when, although I want it to be this way, I can't have it this way right now. What way can I have it? I can have it the way that it is. And I'm going to learn to adapt to it. What does it look like for us to, 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 to be humble when we're vulnerable? It looks like assessing this need for control that we have. Assessing, how is it taking shape in me? How is it manifesting in me? How is it coming out of me? 
This is an opportunity for us to learn humility. The third that I want to say is that our, our vulnerability, so the promise of a new creation reminds us that our vulnerability is a limited thing. The truth is nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ. Nothing. And because that's true, the worst that this world has to throw at us has no power to overcome the love of God and overcome the power of God at work in us. Do you know how loved you are? Do you know how loved you are? You could argue that this is the question that Paul's letter to the Galatians is, is seeking to put forth in front of everybody. Do you know how loved you really are? You have no need to try to preserve your own soul. You have no need to try to make yourself lovable to God. That's taken care of. He loves you because he loves you because he's God. So we can rest in that. Next. God knows what's happening right now. God knows what's happening right now and he is good all the time. Some of us are perhaps really, really wrestling with economic uncertainty. Not perhaps. Many of us are wrestling with economic uncertainty. Listen. You've only ever had one provider. It's hard to live in a world of currency sometimes. And every person who's hearing my voice right now is somebody who has to navigate the realities of things like income and expenses. And it's like there's this river of resources that flow right through the middle of us. It comes to us and it goes out of us. And we don't have a lot of control over it. We can spend years building and building and building and building reserves. And in an afternoon, that pile of reserves can be cut in half. And in a month can disappear. But God knows what's happening. And you have only ever had one provider. And that provider has never been your trust fund. It's never been your work ethic. It's never been a paycheck. It's never been an employer. It's never been your ability to be thrifty. All of those things can serve you for a time, but they're not your provider. You're not your own provider. And when I'm telling you this, I have to preach this to myself all the time, all the time. You have a provider who knows what you need before you ask. And he will always provide according to his perfect wisdom for your deepest need. And this world that we're in right now, with all of the uncertainty that's happening, is temporary. But the one who holds us, the one who owns everything, he holds us with his right hand and he will never let us go. And nothing will separate us from his love. Two more quick points. Quick. <laughs> there will come a time when Revelation 21, 3 to 4 will be all that we know. 
And that is this, look, it says this, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. New creation is our destiny. Until this happens, we are given this amazing opportunity to love and serve our neighbors well. We're given an amazing opportunity to be the hands and feet of Christ for people who don't know Christ. And Jesus said, there's really no greater love than this, that you would lay down your life for a friend. And Jesus did this for us. And in very real ways and in pretty specific ways right now, we get to do that for others. And then finally, this is just a point of personal privilege as we wrap up the book of Galatians and do it in this particular way with Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, the next two Sundays on the calendar is I just want to say this to you at Christ Presbyterian Church's Cool Springs location. I love you. I love you and I miss you. It's, I don't want to be doing it this way. I want to be in a room with you. I want to be meeting your friends that you're inviting. I want to be standing there in that hallway between our worship space and our kids space and getting to know folks and enjoying it brings me so much pleasure watching you as a congregation engage with people who walk in the door who look unfamiliar our church has a tight mesh of a back door people can't just slip out easily because you the church reach out and you care well you're one of the great joys in my life and so I just wanted to say that as we come to the end of the book of Galatians and as Paul talks about this new creation, the truth is our union with each other is no less real because we're doing church this way than when we're together in the same room. And our future together is one that will be marked by layers and depth of intimacy and joy and affection for one another and peace with one another that will be perfect and nothing will ever be able to threaten it. I know some of you are really struggling. I know most of us are, this isn't easy for any of us. And I know some of you are, 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 are having a really hard time. Um, I pray for you. I pray for our church and I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for you. And I'm thankful for God's word, which tells us what the book of Galatians has told us, and that is this. We're so much more loved than we think. We're so much more loved than we know by the one who made us and holds us in his hand. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have a benediction from Galatians, and then I'm going to sing the doxology over us to conclude our service together. Here, the, let, me, let me pray. Father, thank you for the book of Galatians, this letter 
that was written with fire, fire in the belly of the Apostle Paul, driven by love for people that he proclaimed the gospel of Jesus to, who were being persuaded and encouraged to abandon that gospel for something as empty and hollow as self-salvation through ceremony and good works. Father, thank you that that's not the gospel. Thank you that the gospel is that all that we need, we've been given in Christ. Thank you that we have a perfect provider who loves us and keeps us in his care. Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. And I thank you for this church. I thank you for our congregation. I thank you for those that you have brought into my life in the last year and a half of our gathering together that I would not have known otherwise, who have become such great gifts to me and my family. And Lord, I just thank you for the gift of the local church. Sustain us in this season of uncertainty and vulnerability. Remind us of things that are true. Help us to be able to see the ways that we are processing our own fear uh, and anxiety and help us to be quick to repent. I'm reminded of a friend who posted online that every evening during quarantine has become a beautiful opportunity for everybody in their family to apologize to everybody else in their family. And Lord, I pray that you would just give us a very open-handedness when it comes to repentance and uh, forgiveness. Thank you that the gospel is true for your love that endures forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before the benediction and doxology, I just want to remind you uh, that the work of the church continues. And if you um, are so inclined, we're not passing an offering basket, obviously, during here. But we are asking people to please continue um, to support the church in its worship and its work. There's a give button on our website uh, that's right there on the homepage. Uh, and it can walk you through if you've not signed up for online giving. And uh, that's something that this might be a great time for you to explore. Um, and so um, anyway, wanted to mention that. Hear the Lord's benediction, his good word spoken over us. Let me invite you to raise your hands uh, and your hearts as we hear these words from Galatians 6 verse 16 or 18. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. See you soon.